In today's episode, Lisa and our wonderful guests will be talking about sex, intimacy and disability. Please note mature themes apply. This episode is in two parts, so if you haven't already, make sure you listen to part one before you jump into part two. Are you sick of the same old disability stereotypes? We were too, so we did something about it. Welcome to That Was Unexpected, the disability lifestyle podcast for everyone. Brought to you by Youngcare and hosted by me, Lisa Cox. Join our amazing guests as we delve into topics that don't often hit the headlines. So let's do this. Prepare for the unexpected. If you're low vision like me or have other accessibility requirements, check out our show notes. Before we get started, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of land on which we record. We pay respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome back to part two of What? People with Disabilities Have Sex? Once again, Lisa was joined in the studio by Todd Winther, self-proclaimed policy nerd, sex and well-being subject specialist and disability advocate, and Dr. Marita Heck, nurse, midwife, researcher and clinician specialising in today's topic. Lisa and our guests were just filling us in on accessing NDIS funding for sexual well-being. Ready to dive back in? Now, something that I know you both have uh, a lot of experience with is NDIS funding that is is for sexual, um, what's, what are the words I'm looking for? I'm going to get my words right here. Um, functional capacities. Okay. I'm going to pick that. Thank you. NDIS. Okay. Yeah. Right. Either of you, please, please go for it. Um, if, if I or somebody... Did did need did need help in that area? How would I go about funding? What area of my funding do I use? The first thing to say is there's no specific area that says either positive or negatively. You can use this bucket of funding specifically for intimate or sexual preference. One one of the key challenges that we've had is if politicians want a point score, they can say, oh, people are using their NDIS for sex therapy, which, by the way, is totally valid. But what what Section 5 of the NDIS actually says is that people have autonomy over their body, they have the right to privacy, and the reasonable and necessary criteria of Section 34 of the NDIS Act says that... In order to get funding, you can prove that it is effective and beneficial both clinically but also to achieve your goal in life. And any NDIS goal that says things like developing relationships, social connection, further independence, things like that can be justified within the intimacy circle and can be not easily argued to get NDIS funding, but if you use the correct language and if you use the right resources, you can definitely get um, things like what uh, Marita is working on. Yeah. Uh, you can easily clinically and otherwise justify those intimate supports. And if we look beyond the NDIS, there's actually an international treaty where Australia is signatory to called the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. 
that actually says in black and white and grey, you can have intimate relationships. You have the right to privacy. You can participate in social and cultural and public life. So even if the NDIS didn't have it covered in their legislation, you could actually say that the Australian government is violating an international treaty. And if you were to say that to a government official, they go, of course not. Don't take us to the international court of law. So even if in in their infinite wisdom, a politician was to say, no, you can't do this. Well, actually, there's a there's a piece of legislation that's above you, the the most internationally respected organisation in human rights, the United Nations, actually says that you can. So, Marita, do you help any of your clients access and you have funding for the services? Yes. Yeah, so um, what I can recommend uh, is to, uh, and just to add what, to, uh, to add what um, Todd just said, is um, if uh, the people with a disability have that actually in my plan that they actually want to experience sexual quality of life, then NDIS actually funds um, health professionals like me who then come and do a formal assessment and uh, look into their sexual quality of life goals, how they want to uh, reach it, and then um, support like I do with that um, hand brace I showed you is then actually NDIS funded because I basically uh, do that as a um, recommendation. So I also go and say a recommendation is for this person to, um, in spinal cord injury for males uh, to ejaculate or to, um, you know, have um, erectile, they usually have erectile dysfunctions to actually have support with that. And with females, uh, self-pleasure or pleasure support or sexual quality of life with their partners and we usually then can just um, justify that and then NDIS usually does actually fund it. So I haven't had much problems with that with my clients. Uh, The only problems I encountered with was with uh, sex workers. They wouldn't fund that. So tell us again about your dating experience and finding a wife. Well, um, it took a while. I mean, uh, that whole online dating process took about six years before I actually found my wife. I had been on a few dates, um, probably about, you know, five, and um, one particular woman I got fairly serious with, but it always encountered the same boundary-like I thought I was okay and then something happened and it made me rethink whether I was actually okay with it. And then basically I thought I was going to be on dating websites for like 15, 20 years because finding somebody that connects with you on a level and then finding somebody who actually understands your disability is like finding a needle in a haystack. But also to get to that extra level to actually connect with somebody and share the same values as you do and can actually tolerate my obsessive love of AFL football and my obsessive need to understand electoral boundaries and stuff like that. The thing that makes 
Todd, Todd is not only about finding a needle in a haystack, it's finding a unicorn next to that needle in a haystack. It's very, very rare. So I'm not going to pretend for one minute that online dating was easier than a person with a physical disability. In actuality, it's probably one of the most emotionally traumatic periods of my life because you're constantly getting rejected based on a, a thing that you can't control. But if I was to provide one piece of advice, it's and it's corny, but it's just persistence. And people with disabilities, regardless of what uh, disability they have, if you don't need to teach them one thing, it's definitely persistence. That's one thing that we've always got sorted. Yeah, stubbornness and persistence. I yeah. think my husband will agree with me that it's one thing I've got <laughs> got sorted. It's how we survive. Yeah. And Marisa, would you, I know you've got lots of clients with disabilities, is there one bit of advice or several bits of advice that you'd offer to people with disabilities looking to do some online dating or get out into the dating scene? I think um, what Todd said um, is really important, the persistence, and um, it's uh, something, you know, online dating is, is you know, not, not really fun. I mean, it can be fun, but, you know, it's it's if you are looking for a life partner, it's always um pretty challenging and, you know, finding the, the right person. But um, persistence and then also discernment, is this person actually, you know, the person I would like to be with? Because I, I like what you were saying before, Todd, where you're saying there was somebody, but then they were not the perfect match. And then because you, you showed that discernment, you actually found your beautiful unicorn. Yes. <laughs> I love how you describe that. And, and it's also important for me to say that despite my disability, I am a cisgender white male. So if you're if you're queer or transgendered or yeah. um, you know uh, have a different race and not Caucasian, that presents its own set of challenges as well. So yes, I've got a big challenge, but even in amongst that disability spectrum. Um, I'm probably the most traditional representation of somebody with a physical disability. Yeah, and when you were younger in your in your teenage years, did you feel differently about having a disability or Oh I, it's only when I turned about uh twenty seven that I actually came to terms with the fact that I completely despise my disability in all its forms because um, I was very fortunate to have two very strong-willed, articulate, educated parents who always fought for me, believed in me as an individual. And from them and from my own internalised ableism, I sort of thought, well, at least... I'm in a wheelchair and I can articulate my wants and needs and I'm not as bad off as somebody in a hospital bed that can only move their neck. So in the scheme of things, I'm all right. But it wasn't until I actually have had a nervous breakdown in my late 20s that I actually had to deal with the fact that my disability is really shitty and it really pisses me off. So that was a challenge in the... 
in the dating process as well, because Azo is undergoing that sort of ideological transformation. I had to present myself online to women that I found attractive and interesting, and I didn't have that confidence within myself at that time. So that was an extra barrier to overcome. Yeah, I think I think it's okay to be honest with that stuff, that, you know, disabilities aren't all for all of us. Everyone's got a different experience, yeah. but it's it's okay to just have shitty days with disability and it's not all sunshine and roses all the time for everybody. You would find this too, Lisa, that as a disabled person, we're always taught to accommodate an able society, but nobody who who is able-bodied is taught how to accommodate people with disability. We always have to go the extra mile. We always have to be half as disabled and twice as good. And there are different ways you can reckon with that, but it's an emotional journey and... I mean, I obviously know a lot of people with disabilities of all kinds, but the one thing that we all have in common, even if we don't recognise it yet, is we all struggle psychologically with reckoning with our disability and how we present that to the world. Oh, definitely, for sure. As much as we'd we'd love, I'd love to spend all day talking about sex, let's just... uh, there's another really important element we need to chat about, which is, is things like SDIs, which are, you know, not as sexy but still need to be talked about. And this is one of the things we see in the clinical work and I personally see as well where people with a disability, because they don't have, um, you know, that experience and don't go out as often, um, this is also completely neglected to talk about uh, STDs. And so um, for my clients but in general i'm i'm really passionate about education education about uh, around this topic for people with a disability and um it's basically if uh, people are interested the sex positive website has actually a tag where there is um, a really um, good explanation what would be recommended what tests to do but also how to start that conversation and also for people with a disability not to be pressured into anything they don't want to. Yeah. So really uh, be very uh, discerning um, what you want to uh, speak up um, and really uh, have that conversation with a partner. And if they don't want to have that conversation, just uh, don't even go there because it's, you know, it. I often say to my clients, they have so many health issues and STD on top of it. It's just not something... I would like them to oh, have. Oh, gosh, no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah knowing, knowing your rights, your sexual rights, and yes. I, think it's, I think it's really important that we have have these conversations and it's it's not going to be, be on the 6 p.m. headlines anytime soon, but it's, it's conversations that, that need to be had. Yeah, well, the only thing that gets on the 6 p.m. headlines or the Four Corners episodes uh, when something horrendous happens to us, you never see positive stories unless we're a Paralympian about disability and having positive relationships and educating other people with disabilities because, of course, because we have those diminished rights, the media 
is reluctant to tell our stories and politically because people with disabilities uh, don't know what their rights are and it's in the best interest of the powerful to deny us our rights because we're a powerful lobby group when we want to be. We don't have access to our rights unless we ask for them and that's the overall message of the Royal Commission, which is why the culture in Australia around disability needs to change. That's right. And Marita, when you're working with your clients and you're teaching them to learn their learn their rights or just learn their boundaries, I suppose, in terms yeah. of sexual health and safety, what are some of those things that you, you teach them or tell them? So basically uh, everything about consent is really mm-hmm. important, you know, to really... Um, really know um, their yes and no um, because um, a person with a disability they know their body best and they know best what's good for them and so not to be pressured into anything they don't want Uh, also then usual std prevention the tests they can do uh, finding out what actually Todd said before um, how to which areas of their bodies feel you know pleasurable and also open communication with their partners. And, you know, just um, what what we also see is just trying it out. And, um, yeah, it's, it's basically, it's a holistic approach because um, when I work with them, I also look at bladder management, bowel management, wound care, and, you know, all that stuff that needs to be considered to have safe sex. So, you know, also being safe <laughs> during that uh, sexual expression. As yeah, that's yeah. such an important service. And just just reminding the listeners again that that is, that is all NDIS, the mm-hmm. sort of thing that is. And for, for a lot of people that's, that's just as important as other things that are NDIS covered as well. Um, and, Todd, do you have any sort of tips for the listeners or or anything like that around around consent and knowing their body from a sexual health perspective? If you're a parent that has a child with a disability, don't shy away from the conversations that you would have with a child without a disability. Don't, uh, don't forget, even if they communicate differently or have a cognitive deficit, we all, we all need to know what makes us safe, what what being uncomfortable feels like, when to know, when to trust our gut, when to know that we get excited, what it would feel like when uh, we connect with that romantic partner, what give people hope about, I know a person with a disability who has an able-bodied partner or I know a person with a disability who's in a relationship with another person with a disability. And I know a person with a disability who has a child because the thing that we forget as disability service providers is that people with disabilities don't know what they don't know. And the way to share these stories is to to teach them that you can be what you can see, but if you teach that, you have to open up people's eyes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what this podcast is trying to do, I suppose, is exactly. to share share those sorts of stories. And that's that's why we did, I suppose, touch on touch on some stories which weren't necessarily so 
So great. And like I said before, the the stories about about consent and safety, one is sexy as sex, but we did we did yeah. need to talk about it because it is it is important and something we did did need to share because there are a lot of taboos across across society. And I suppose a question for you both is what you would like to see change and that's a that's a big question and there's there's a lot of you know from government policy we could put a lot of legislation in place to changes in pop culture to to all sorts of things but if you could you know wave a magic wand so to speak open book what what would you like to see change if you could do anything tomorrow what do you think would would change change the conversations around sex and disability to make it less taboo and less of a, a stigmatised thing that people are so, eh, don't want to go there, let's not talk about it. Well, being more exposed, you know, having having more um, exposure to it, um, normalise it, have it, um, have that conversation at schools, you know, start really early. I can only talk about uh, my experience from mm-hmm. where I'm coming from because that, um, you know, discussion starts very early in life, obviously child appropriate, uh, age appropriate as well. But then, you know, we, I haven't encountered any taboos around disability because that's so normal that we say, oh yeah, people with a disability have sex too. So, you know, it's, it's just, um, yeah, normalize it, uh, have an open conversation. And Todd was saying before what I really liked, really, um, you know, name the body parts, say vagina, say vulva, say penis, and, and really, you know, have an open discussion. Don't taboo, don't have it as a taboo because it, it won't help anybody. It's just, you know, in, in an ideal world, we just talk about it and we don't feel awkward about it. It's just normal part of human being, like eating. We talk about food, <laughs> like just normal or having a coffee. <laughs> Basically having a conversation like that, we don't have to, you know, go into nitty gritty stuff, but, you know, just having an open conversation about that. I think that would help a lot. Okay. The Royal Commission report has come out recently. And uh, the thing that strikes me is that it's a 12-volume, five-and-a-half-thousand-page report that documents how we've been denied our basic rights in Australia. And... If I was to summarise the Royal Commission in three words, it's basically dismantling the illusion of inclusion in Australia. So we're not only talking about sexual or intimate rights or reproductive rights or any of the topics that we discuss today. The reality is up to this point, the government have failed to take our rights seriously. And although we are a powerful voice and we're the voice that started the NDIS, we're the voice that got rid of independent assessments, the fact that we have to live not as a second-class citizen, not as a third-class citizen, we are really a fourth-class citizen. As a group, we are a fourth-class demographic and until society transitions away from the medical model that says our disability is the issue that must be dealt with rather than looking inward and saying it's actually society's attitude about how they perceive 
our disability. In other words, it's not our fault that we're different. It's your fault for perceiving us differently. So I could say that on a variety of topics, but specifically in regard to sexual health, reproductive rights, I mentioned the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disability. That's only 15 years old. So prior to when I turned 23, if I had a baby, my child can... My child could be taken away, no questions asked. I couldn't be rescued in a time of disaster. I didn't have political, legal or just rights. I got excluded from uh, cultural and public activities. So it's not only sexual health. It's about a whole shift in mindset to say, yes, we are people with disabilities and just because we're in wheelchairs or have cognitive difficulties or are blind or are deaf or whatever disability that we have, it all comes back to that need for human connection, which is why I'm so passionate about this topic, because society looks at me and says, we don't want to look at you, live over there. So I'm the one who says, bring me to the table. And that gets bloody exhausting. I'm sure you're the same way. I'm fucking exhausted. So bring us to the table. Have Have the conversation. I'm not the problem. You are. Yep. Incredibly well said, Todd. Incredibly well said, both of you. So I've got one question for you before we finish today. And given the title of the podcast, that was unexpected. Todd, I'll start with you. What in your life, given everything that's happened, is completely unexpected? Given the nature of the topic, um, I can't believe that people without disabilities believe that people with disabilities don't want to have sex. (laughs) Neither can I. (laughs) We're we're just as horny as you are. (laughs) I love it. And Marita, I'll ask you the same question. Given your experience and your professional background working working in the industries you do, what in your life is completely unexpected? Doing the job that I'm doing now. I would have never, ever, ever, ever. If you had asked me in five, five years ago, I would have never thought I would do that work. And it's very rewarding and I love to do this work. So, yeah, people with a disability have sex and they like it. Yes. <laughs> So there you go, guys. In answer to your question, in case you're wondering, people with disabilities can and do have sex. You heard it here first. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you both very much for being here and talking to us about sex, sexual health, all that fun stuff, and sharing your experiences with us, of course, and being being vulnerable because some of those stories, Todd especially, it probably, probably wasn't... A whole lot of fun to go, oh, to go there. I'm used to telling those stories. It's an obligation that I have. I have, I have the ability to tell stories, so it's my obli- yeah. my obligation to pass them on. So I'm happy to do that. Just compartmentalize and yeah. share. And I'm all, <laughs> I have the feeling. I'm always happy to give me, give back to Young Care because they've given me so much. If it wasn't for Young Care, I wouldn't have met my wife and. <gasps> 
we wouldn't be oh. having this conversation. So, yeah, that's what Young Care have given us as a couple. That's oh. amazing. That's really cool. Thanks for listening to That Was Unexpected. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, then hit subscribe wherever you get your fix. Have any questions or topics that you'd love for us to tackle? Great. Email podcast at youngcare.com.au. We can't wait to hear from you. Check out our show notes for transcripts, video recordings, and to find out more about our guests, plus the useful resources they share. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, X, and LinkedIn at Young Care Oz. Let's not forget an inclusive community is everyone's business. So let's keep working together to break down barriers and smash some stereotypes.